the Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. We are continuing on the show lamb schedule. We have Mr. Wade Franklin with us today. And boy, do we get into some good topics, very timely discussions. Uh, but before we jump into that talk, Let's talk a little bit about where Walton Webcasting is headed. Belton, Texas, folks, this Friday and Saturday, they are heading to the Southwest Hive Conference conference in Belton, Texas. Con- con- conference? So conference. looks like I'll be uh, pretty entertained come Friday and Saturday watching some of the livestock down there at the pig show. Uh, they are heading to many sales. We will also be at the Adam Beck and Family Show Pig Sale. Uh, they will be there as well. So, guys, you got to subscribe to that because it happens. We get busy this time of year, and we miss shows. And if you have a head of livestock that are at some of these shows and you get to get getting busy, you miss it. If you subscribe to Walton Webcasting, you can go back and see how that animal looked like you've never seen it before with Walton Webcasting. Go to waltonwebcasting.com and subscribe today. Today, four ninety nine a month. That's nothing. It's nothing. I find four ninety nine and change in my pickup every time I eat out. So yeah, I mean that's the truth. It's pretty simple. Pay a lot of tolls. Pay a lot of tolls on the road. Anyways, folks, uh, something else that you should probably look into is if you're in the show pig industry and you're listening to this sheep episode number one. I'm proud of you for being multi species. Yes, thank you. Number number two. If you're looking for exposure and 24-7 brand promotion, you got to be online. And an online presence helps establish credibility, it introduces and builds your brand image, and it allows even the smallest businesses, like Stock Talk Podcast, to compete in an ever-growing, fast-paced industry. We all know that. So having a website that is mobile responsive is imperative. I mean, we're on our phones. Today, everybody's on their phones 90% of the day. Yeah. I mean, I would say 95% of the people in the United States of America check their phone at least 12 times an hour. And I would say that stock show people are even worse because we're always on our phones looking for the next breeding piece, finding out which ones won the shows, yeah. going to people's breeders' websites, looking at their winner's page. So crazy thing. Showpig.com has a design team that can help you create your brand, make an impact, and reach potential customers from across the country on any device. Why? Because they build websites. Uh, If you go to stocktalk-podcast.com and you like that thing, as we sure do, that's the team, folks, right there. Yep, that is the team. Well, they offer many different packages that fits every budget. So I just, I'm here to tell you that you need to get an online presence if you don't have a website or if you got an outdated old website that's not updated, go check them out. Let's get her updated. Anyways, Corey, I, new- dig- I digress. I'm a marketing guy. I love, I love. <laughs> but you got to have oh, it. You got to have it to be successful. There's no doubt. Right. Um, exciting news in the show stock world. Brand exactly. new show coming to Worcester, Ohio. The Buckeye Livestock Expo is a hog, sheep, and goat show happening June 26th, 27th, and the 28th. 
Um, all of which are our judges are all ex stock stock talk hosts or guests, I should say. So I think I might have saw a teaser video on Facebook. Uh huh. Um, Buckeye Livestock Expo has a Facebook page, right? Yes, yes, we do. Okay. So I am so, part of this committee, and yes. we've worked diligently to get it launched. Um, Hog Judge, you may have heard of the guy, Ryan Rash. Uh, Hog Showmanship, Seth D. Keplinger. Goats, the Dale Hummel. And your Sheep Judge, Jordan Ambergy. So elite folks, to say the least. They're in Worcester, Ohio, June 26th, 27th, and 28th of this year, the Buckeye Livestock Expo. Uh, get on Facebook, stay updated. I am obviously very, very excited to be part of that committee uh, and a group of really awesome folks. The uh, Sheep Show is sanctioned um, here in Ohio. Uh, the lead conference are, uh, is a sanctioned deal. So anyway, I'll digress off of that. Really excited, sure. Buckeye Livestock Expo. Good question. Do you have to be from Ohio to show at this show? No, you don't. Open to the world. Boom. All right, folks. That was, I knew the answer to the question. I just wanted you to say it. Yes. So open anybody to the world. can come and show. I mean, if you're in California and you want to drive 46 hours to Ohio to show hog, sheep, or goats, by all means, love to see you there. Heck yeah. It's, it's going to be a fun time. Anyway, we do have an interview. Yes, and we're about to go to work, as the title suggests. Yeah. Corey, who we got, man? Man, we've got a guy that has a son that has won all but one Texas major. We've got a guy that is bred and raised his dad's show lambs since the early 2000s with lots of success. Been in the industry forever. High-profile guy. If you haven't heard of Wade Franklin, you will today. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Mr. Wade Franklin. If you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, of course, what you do for a living. Okay, good. Well, I uh, I grew up in a small town in uh, eastern New Mexico, and... Uh, my father, a uh, little unique combination. He was a high school ag teacher and a basketball coach. And so uh, um, I grew up with that. And my mom actually was a, a, a coach as well and then later became an administrator. But so we grew up uh, showing and judging and playing ball. And, uh, and so we had a, a, you know, we didn't have too much time to uh, go on vacations and do all that kind of stuff. We went to stock shows and livestock judging contests and then, and we, uh, for fun, we, we played sports. And so, uh, after that, uh, I went, uh, on a livestock judging, uh, scholarship to, uh, South Plains Junior College and then later to, uh, Kansas State. And so I had the privilege and opportunity to judge for, uh, Scott Shockey at the time. And, uh, we were actually, uh, had a fairly successful team. And in 1997, I uh, was a member of the national championship judging team. At Kansas State. And so then, uh, I guess after that, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I were married. We moved down to uh, Lubbock, Texas. And then uh, my son, Hudson, is a seventh grader, 13. And um, I own and operate Jerry Franklin Show Lambs. And 
and with that comes an affiliation with high noon feeds and so uh, I take care of and do some sales and some consulting with high noon feeds for uh, Texas and New Mexico. Um, we run uh, all 250 or so uh, breeding females. We mostly sell all our weathers to Texas, uh, sell a handful of bucks every year and then uh, a few females and this had the opportunity to sell some really high prof high profile females that uh have went on to some flocks and done well and so that's kind of my role now and and uh and we're in the middle of it um the texas uh, show season's underway and so we're uh we're traveling pretty hard and and doing that and so uh it's a busy time of year for us sure it is yeah that's sure. uh you guys are lambing and showing all at the same time it's kind of crazy yeah how the schedule yeah, it, works it, down there yeah it can be busy and uh we've uh in the past we've uh you know we 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 did uh some fall stuff and some early january type stuff and and had good luck i mean i think we we won indiana and in, in 12 and michigan in 13 and then um when my son started showing um you know, trying to have baby lambs and get weathers ready and, and all that stuff. It just made it real tough. And so we, we shift our focus back to just primarily lambing in March and April and early May. And, uh, this year for the first time, some of it due to the fact that in, in Texas has a crazy rule. When you win a big sheep show, you retire. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was a New Mexican, I thought that was a terrible rule because if you won San Antonio once, why wouldn't you want to try to win it multiple times? Yeah. And after living it, I can tell you it's too hard to win. And when you win, when they tell you you're done and you're never going to get beat there again, it's it, it, it's really nice. And so, fortunately, uh, my son and I, we've had a little bit of luck. And uh, he's won all the Texas majors except for Houston. So, since we've been able to retire, we've went back to uh, making some uh, different age lambs. And so, we've actually got some Decembers or have some Decembers and some Januaries. And so since the first time since about 2013, we've done that. And so we've, we've kind of struggled a little bit, um, uh, trying to get baby lambs going and getting started and then traveling to some of these stock shows. And so, uh, yeah, it, it can be a, a heavy schedule, but it, uh, you know, uh, I always say, uh, lambing seasons like Christmas, um, it's, it's the most fun time of the year because you actually see what you've been trying to trying to do uh, genetic wise and breeding wise. And so when they start hatching and coming, uh, you know, you get, it, it, it is like, uh, it's like Christmas day every day, this time of year when, when right. baby lambs are hitting. Her. So that's right. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. Yeah. Uh, so, so Wade, tell us, we got to know the history of Jerry Franklin show lambs because you guys have been in the business and, and obviously like you just said, winning at a high level. Um, uh, how did you guys get your start in, in, kind of grow it to where where it's at today yeah it's a good story uh and i think most married men uh i think they'll be able to appreciate the story how we got started uh, and since i've been married for 20 years now I, I when i was a kid i didn't understand it but i do now um so in 1979 my father uh he bought 10 ewes in a buck from eugene Bates, and uh, like most married men, he had to sell that idea to my mom. And so he told her that uh, he bought a little project for the boys. Well, we were two and four at the time. So, uh, and I know, you know, bought a little project for the boys, which meant I want to go buy 10 years in a buck so that 
I can have a little hobby plot. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, because of, uh, you know, my father's responsibilities as a, as an ag teacher and a coach, uh, you know, through the seven, you know, the eighties and nineties while we, while I was growing up, you know, it really was a true hobby flock. I mean, he had a small handful of ewes, um, didn't spend a lot of money buying bucks and females and those kind of things. Tried to improve with, within, uh, we showed a few lambs, sold a few lambs. Uh, I, you know, I guess the, like I said, it was the epitome of a true hobby flock. Um, you know, a true 4-H project, an FFA project that, uh, you know, was pretty basic and pretty simple. Um, later, um, and, you know, some of it was, uh, I'd been to school and been around a little bit and and had moved back home, uh, to at least in the area, back after college. And so primarily from just a, you know, I guess I was his lead consultant. I knew how to spend his money, is what that was called. And so... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we branched out and, and, uh, I bought a, I bought a good buck from Fred Knopf and, um, and he was a Suffolk influenced buck, but he had muscle and shape and, um, you know, because he was the only good buck we had, um, which when we were doing it, I hated because it wasn't that cool. You don't breed a good buck five years in a row, but we, my father bred that buck five years in a row and, uh, it, like I say, that, that's probably not the coolest thing of, you know, from a breeding standpoint, but when I look back about, think back about it, um, we would have multiple generations of the same sheep, father, daughter matings, father, granddaughter matings, and those sheep had muscle, um, they had shape. Um, and then, so, and we just stayed, stayed the course It, it forced us to, you know, do the same thing over and over again. And like I said, it wasn't the coolest thing in the world, but thinking back on it, we wouldn't have been where we're at today if we hadn't have just done that and pounded that in those sheep. Um, because quite honestly, you know, I, people that come to our flock now that, you know, maybe not quite as familiar with our old stuff, they probably can't see it, but some of that stuff, you know, you can see that happened back in 2000 and it doesn't it sound strange, but I see it, and I, I thank God that that uh, we did that back then. And then we had a really good thing happen to us. Um, uh, I reconnected uh, with an old uh, friend. Clint Cummings was coaching at Cal Poly at the time, and I was doing a little coaching uh, going to graduate school at Nebraska. And uh, he was a sheep guy, and we kind of grew up. I grew up with some sheep, and so we bonded. And then uh, 2005. Uh, he came to New Mexico to judge state fair and I went to visit him and, uh, you know, we just started talking about sheep. And the next thing I knew I was flying and driving to California pretty regular to, uh, go look at those sheep. And, you know, uh, California guys was highly, uh, being influenced by the cabinet flock and mm-hmm. you could go out there and find those good cabinet sheep. And of course, at that time, um, uh, we were trying to cover all these Suffolk sheep up with wool and make them a little stouter skeletally. And, and those cabinet sheep would straighten them up and, and, and improve their bone work and those kind of things. And so we bought a couple of rams from Leonard Bianchi that was highly influenced with cabinet genetics. And then, um, because of Clint's relationship with high noon, I kind of got a little bit involved with that and started doing some high noon stuff in New Mexico. 
and uh, got to meet James Duffy. I knew James Duffy, but I was selling him some feed, and James and Cody Burson had just recently bought the Leo Ram at the Black and White, and for the time, that was the first sheep that I had seen that was truly opened up in his hip and had the extra base width and the bone and foot size that everybody was kind of hunting. And so, you know, in theory, you take some of the old muscle stuff from the cabinets or from the knot deal and try to straighten it out and make it a little more attractive and better built with the cabinets gene pull and then crack it open and add some true lower skeleton and some hip shape with the Leo deal. And so, uh, we actually uh, raised our first state champion um, in 2007. We won New Mexico State Fair in 2007. And then so from there, the rest is kind of history. We just kind of got going and, and took the inbred Leo stuff and uh, got lucky again in uh, 2009 when uh, James Duffy made the uh, trunk buck. And I can remember walking out there in the field at his house and and he was mongo hipped and great big butted and huge feet and big boned and you know maybe a little chubby but uh he he was definitely a changer type buck and at that time everybody was kind of trying to chase some bone and some structure and some stoutness and and he would have been the leader in the pack and uh i was fortunate enough to be able to buy part of him and we throwed him in there fairly heavy and then you know, maybe another stroke of luck in 2010 when we found White Rock. And hmm. White Rock was actually bred by uh, Joel Lanier. He was a uh, Miller cabinet kind of cross, hemp buck. Uh, tremendous hemp feature. Uh, lots of muscle shape. And so there again, you, we had those inbred Leo genetics that were kind of stout structured and opened up. And we needed to firm up and fuzz them up a little bit add some shape and some touch and white rock was able to do that. And so, uh, kind of going back to how we got started, you know, we bred white rock to every trunk daughter for three or four years in a row. And it didn't matter if she was, you know, big and athletic or short, thick and wide. We just did the same mating over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, those sheep started winning the white rock trunk combo, um the weathers were good and the females were good and and they could win sheep shows and so we just started tying all that stuff together and and uh so getting up to modern times i mean that's we just stayed the stayed the course and so that's what we've done and and that would basically be how we are or how we are and how we got to you know 2020 wow so so that that brings up a, a a good question that uh I've always been fascinated with and talking about that Leo line the the white rock and and trump daughter matings what talk us through your mindset when making some of these breeding decisions and especially when you're line breeding uh some of these genetics what go through your head and the risk reward factor that may come into play Well you know <laughs> We would be considered at our flock highly, highly inbred or highly line bred. And, uh, you know, like our, uh, for example, our keeper buck last spring, you know, we trace out their pedigrees. And I know maybe, maybe the newer generation, it's maybe not as cool as it was like maybe in my generation. You sit there and 
draw them old pedigrees out and study that old stuff and try to figure out why a sheep had muscle or he didn't or why his legs were good or why they weren't and and study that but you know so we did some pedigree stuff and like you know our keeper females that we kept at last year and our keeper buck lamb i mean those those sheep have anywhere from 40 to 50 shots of leo and anywhere from 10 to 15 shots of white rock wow um so they're highly inbred and uh but i will tell you it really wasn't by design um we just tried to stack good sheep on top of good sheep and i think the line breeding deal only makes sense is if they're good phenotypically and so i know that you know, people try to line stuff up, but I don't think it matters if the sheep aren't good enough. And so I'd like to tell you that, you know, we had a, a plan to stack all this stuff together, but really we just tried to bring good bucks to good use to get good sheep. And, and fortunately, a lot of those sheep were genetically similar. And so that as we, as you start looking at the pedigrees of our flock, um, you know, that, that there's not many forks and, uh, but the truth is, when you look back at how we started, you know, we took two two or three gene pools that were maybe quite a bit different in their build phenotypically and forced that together to, to kind of create what we have now. And so, uh, in theory, line breeding makes sense. But I also think that it only makes sense if the sheep are good. And so, right. fortunately, we, we had access uh, to good ones. And as I said, they were genetically similar so we just stayed the course um and so that that's how that worked out so so that leads to the second question then as a follow-up to this is you know when's a good time for an outcross and then you know what do you look for in that outcross to make sure that mating you know you you could try to make it work well that that's that's just happening with us Uh, and, and i think you know, I, I think I think the outcross deal, I mean, you know, I'd like to tell you, well, you, you try to find the outcross before your sheep, you know, before you think you need to change them. Because once you know that that uh, they're not good enough, sometimes when you when you're forced to do the outcross, then it then you have a, a slow, slow turnaround of trying to get them back to where you want them to be. And I'm not sure anybody ever has them where they exactly want them to be. But um, I think that outcross deal. It's almost like uh, it's almost like the white rock thing. I think you know a, a guy that's got a true breeding program and, and is willing to stay patient, stay focused with what you're doing. Because unfortunately, you know, with many guys, you know, they're they're looking for the next new cool thing, and so they shop around and around, and and it's sometimes it's hard or difficult for people to stay the course. But I think with most of the really good breeders that have come you know, before me and have come after me, um, you know, they've been able to stay patient, stay the course. And I think that good outcross, when you find him, he'll just slap you in the face. And it's almost like I go back to the white rock deal. Um, you know, that the, the story behind white rock is a little bit, I mean, I'm actually the third owner of that buck. So he didn't work twice before I got him. And so we, you have to almost have, you know, the right combination to make it work. But I can remember when that two-year-old buck got to my house uh, and I had really knew very little about him, but that buck slapped me in the face and said, this is where you need to go. And so we did. Um, We're in a change a little bit. 
um, at our place and was very fortunate. Um, and I got slapped in the face and it was a picture on the internet, Tyson rule having a buck sale. And I've had mixed emotions about some of that stuff just because it was some, it was, it was different mine. But when I saw the picture of collusion, I felt like I needed to own that buck. And, mm. and so I did, I bought him. And then we kind of sampled him a little bit and, and, and it was a little unfortunate. He got uh bone infection in his hock. So we didn't get to use him all that much a year ago. Um, I think we had six or seven black face weathers out of him. Uh, one of the, you know, two of them, one of them's a grand at Denver and the other one wins, wins a division at Denver. Uh, we won the belt buckle bonanza with one. And so out of six, you go, well, or seven, this is, this is not a bad deal. Might and work. So what, yeah. we tried, <laughs> what we tried to do, we, his health is good. And so we tried to breed him to ever black face you on our place this time. And so we didn't probably get all that done, but you know, when you find one, uh, he'll slap you in the face and you, and they just tell you to do it. And, and, you know, the problem is, you know, I think genetic positive genetic improvement comes slow. Uh, unfortunately, negative genetic you know, uh, is fast. And so you, I think, you know, when you sa- when you sample a buck and you see good change or you see, I've n- not necessarily a, a, you know, like I think when a, an established guy uses an outcross, what you really hope is, is if you can catch a little hybrid vigor and maybe a little performance and not screw your sheep up. Mm. And, and that is what I could give the biggest compliment to like this collusion buck that we're, playing with now is is that i can see a little bit of hybrid vigor i can see a little more improved performance in my sheep and he didn't screw up my good use and i think that is as big a compliment as you can give an outside buck as any and because at times when you're trying to do that you know maybe maybe you know maybe you can throw a buck in there and and then you've got to try to fix a problem later and uh and so We'll see how it goes, but this is the first year in many that we've actually uh, brought something in and stayed with it and are going to try to not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, uh, throw it in and throw it out. Maybe this is a deal where we throw it in and we just try to build around it again. And right. so um, it's been good and hopefully, you know, I, you, you never know. You never know the value of a buck until you take a son and breed it to a daughter. And, uh, and so, you know, I may have a different story in a year or two, but right this second, and, um, we're pretty excited about them and we start breeding sons to daughters and, you know, grandsons to granddaughters. We hope that we we keep our sheep going in the right direction. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. I mean, to be line, lining them up like that, and like you said, it's not it's not by mistake. I mean, when they go out and win that many times and, and do that well, why wouldn't you try to line it back up? A good sheep on good sheep should get really good sheep. Um, and that's- yeah, you know, yeah and, you know we, we, people talk about it, and I, you know, I've had the fortune to uh, talk to the best of the best, and, you know, when you try to listen to how they did it. And, uh, you know, you hear about the, you know, breeding to extremes and all that stuff. And that's something that we just never have really done. Um, we, we've never done it correctly. We've never taken the, you know, the, the extreme 
on one side of the scale and breed it to the extreme on the other side of the scale. And I know people in the past have made that work. We've never really made that work. Um, we've just tried to take the best female that we could make and breed it to the best buck that we had. Right. And, and stay that way, which sometimes means that we don't sample where we haven't sampled. You know, in, you know, I, I know a lot of guys that they're sample this and see how that works and sample that and see how it works. We've been either all in or all out on a buck. And so, you know, we, tr- you know, it's just like I go back to people probably knowing the fire away buck. I mean, he was a February buck lamb. And I think at the time I had about 180 something mature use. And I tried to breed a February buck lamb to 180 mature use. Now, I didn't get it done. But I think I got him bred to 160 of them. Jeez, and so, wow. <laughs> uh, but, and with no AI or anything. I mean, we, we don't flush, we AI a little bit, um, but yeah, we just made it work. I mean, you, you got a baby one and take care of him and all that kind of stuff a little bit. And then you just got to trust that that buck's tough enough to get it done. And fortunately he was right. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've been all in or all out. And I think, uh, at least at, at, our, at our place, uh, when you find one that works, you just stay the course and. And so, like I say, this is the first time in many years we've jumped outside of our comfort zone, which is our own stuff, and and tried something different, and and I, I think it's going in the right direction. So, good deal. Well, that uh, that leads us to a segment, and I think you uh, you might find this one kind of interesting. So, cue the music. This is topics from a hat, brought to you by Fierce Threads. Fierce Threads has come up with a incredible line of showstock gear called Big Paul, Big Paul Lifestyle Company. If you're unfamiliar with it, get on their website, fierce-threads.com. There should be a link to the Big Paul site. Cannot remember the life of me, what that what that website is. Uh, but Big Paul does some cool stuff, designing new T-shirts, hats, hoodies, you name it. Really cool stuff. Visit fierce-threads.com today. Check out their screen printing and embroidery too. Okay, so... Wade, this comes from uh, Chris. Chris sent us an email, uh, and he he said he's trying to buy his first his daughter's first champion. What advice do you have uh, when he starts looking to buy, and how much should he expect to spend? Well, that's a good question because you know we uh, we have a deal down here called Senioritis in Texas. Okay, and. Uh, <laughs> And I like senioritis because that means mom and dad's ready to jump in. They got one more shot. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I tell you that, 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 and I view this game uh, as a sport just like any other. Um, it's a game. It's a sport, and I think we have to treat it that way. Um, and and there's certain things, you know, a lot of times guys think a champion's bought. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's really not. Uh, and, and I'm not opposed to selling high-dollar weathers and bucks and use. So, you know, you have to say that a little bit careful because, you know, obviously we're in the, we're, we're in a business and we've got to keep going, but that, that champion deal, being able to, being able to feed and show a champion, um, really it, it, it has to be a, a marathon type process. And I'm not telling you that, that the stars having a line and a guy got lucky and won a big, big sheep show and didn't put the time and the work and the effort in. And I'm talking about years of doing that. Um, but 99% of them, it, it's a process. 
And that process usually begins um, with with the dedication and and anybody in the livestock world knows that everybody thinks they work hard, but really very few do. And so, you know, if you want to really feed a champion, you know, I think, I think a person has to really decide that they're going to spend an X amount of time in the barn and X amount of time studying, studying their craft and then um, just going to work. And because uh, breeders, any, all good breeders know that if you don't have good families feeding your stock, you cannot win. Mm. That's a fact. And so we've been super fortunate, really fortunate over the years that we have acquired or been able to sell sheep to families that put in the time, the dedication, and do what it takes to win a big sheep show. And, and so if you're a family... My advice, if you're a family and you want to decide to get out there and, and try to win big, good sheep shows, then you've got to do your job. And if you do your job at home, which means you spend the time it takes every day, then that breeder will make sure that you have the right sheep to show at all price levels because champion lambs can come at all price levels. I mean, I've seen them. You know, everybody thinks, well, that you got to spend 10000 or 8000 or whatever to get the Louisville grant, and that is not true. Uh, because, you know, if, you, if you're a good family and you do your job, and if you're on a budget, and if you can get with a breeder, and that's the thing, too, that people make a mistake on. Um, and I'm not saying a guy can't jump around and buy sheep from here and buy sheep from there, but... Most of the ones that win, they either get affiliated or they buy sheep from that spot. And they're loyal to him or her. And then the same, the breeder's loyal to that family. And they make sure they've got good stock to show. So I guess what I would, the best way I could answer that question is if you want to try to feed a champion, and it's probably not going to happen this year, you're going to have to go to work and do your job and get with a breeder or somebody, someone that you trust and get started and stay the course and it kind of goes back to that deal with we talked about breeding sheep those families if the ones that stay the course and are in it for the long haul when it's their time to win assuming that they're with a breeder or, or someone that can help them um they'll have their opportunity to win and mm. i don't know i don't think there's a number price wise you know i mean obviously you know it, it, it'd be pretty hard pretty hard to buy one good enough to win you know for less than 1500 bucks but at the same time guys sitting there going we can't spend six seven eight nine ten twelve thousand for a weather i don't think you have to mm -hmm. and that might not mean though you get to feed your first pick it might mean that you have to feed your third and fourth pick but and and, and the biggest problem with some families is just because their sheep has a flaw and they all have a flaw, but just because one has a flaw, they're afraid or they just don't take the time to go to work on it. And the really good families that we've dealt with over the years, they can look at their sheep, understand the good, the bad, and the ugly and go to work. And if you can do that and go to work and if he's fat and chubby, you go to work. If, you know, if, 
if he don't show good enough, you go to work. If he needs to be exercised more or less, go to work and, and try to fix him. And those are the families that win big sheep shows. And so um, there's been families that I've seen their first year projects show crummy stock, get their tail beat all year long. And, but yet they went to work and they did what they were supposed to do. And they took one that was average and made him decent. And the next year they got a better one. And the next year they got a better one. And in year five, they had the monster that could win a big sheep show. And so um, rather than worrying about the number, what he costs, I think if, if a family will do their job, they will, and, and they can get with a good breeder or, or, or a good stock person, they can get the kind of stock they need to win what they want to win. Oh, that's more. that rings so true. And I was writing down a couple things when I saw this email come through. Um, I I had to smile a little bit because that that seems to be the uh, the discussion is I need to buy my first champion or I, I really want to get my kids involved and I got to buy my first champion. And you kept saying it. I don't even think you knew you said it. You you kept saying you got to feed champions. You don't buy champions. You feed them. And I. Uh, there's there's always somebody that told me uh, in order to get a champion it comes into three parts. The animal has to be genetically gifted enough to get there. the The second part is you have to have a family to be able to manage it correctly and do it at a very high level. And like you said, they got to go to work. Third, they have to feed it right. The nutrition nowadays can make or break it. It's a science. And if you know what you're doing, or if you have somebody that knows what they're doing. That can make an average one look extremely good or at least better in order to do that. Another thing somebody always told me was price only determines ownership. So when the gavel goes down and that auctioneer or the online deal says sold, all that number means is it goes to that person. It does not mean that the highest dollar one's going to win one. Um, price only determines ownership. And... I just love, I kept nodding my head. I know you can't see me, but you got to put in the work. And, you know, I've seen in the hog deal, um, some of these no sales and ones that were just really green and skinny as babies blew up towards the end. And that family worked their tail off, uh, to get it done. So, um, such an interesting topic. And I just, I love what you're saying. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's, it's, it's true. And the problem with some of the expensive ones and don't, we've sold some of them. The problem is, is, is sometimes you're scared of them. And I mean, I would be that way too. If I had 10,000 in a weather, okay. And you walk out there and you, you would be afraid to treat it like a real show sheep needs to be treated. And I'm not saying that, you know, a show sheep is ever abused or anything like that, but you know, the, some of the workout stuff, either on the treadmill or the track, you got to go hard and go fast and try to build them up and make them as good as you can. And if you had 10,000 in that thing and you're on these, on a track chasing him with a, with a dog, you know, you probably going to gear your dog down just a little bit. Cause you can't afford for that thing to get hurt. Absolutely. And sometimes those really expensive ones, it just maybe don't get treated quite as, as tough or, or as, as good as they needed to, just because we're a little bit scared of them. And, and don't get me wrong. There's been those expensive ones that have won, but more times than not, I think, you know, uh, the, the ones that are bought right and are treated right, they've got just as good a chance of, uh, of hanging a trophy or, or winning a trophy as, as some of those really high-dollar ones. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to selling $10,000 weather. <laughs> I like it. But, but 
at the same time, uh, there, there's families that we deal with every day and, and they just can't do it. And you know, they can't do it. So from a breeder standpoint, you make sure they get what they need to go in. And like I say, it might not be the first pick in the, in the set because we all know what the, sometimes the first pick, you have to sell that one for enough to keep rolling, but you make sure they've got one that they can feed. And, and that's some of it too. I think as a family progresses and they learn, you know, everybody's barns a little bit different in their environment where they feed a little bit, even in Texas, the way that I would feed one in shallow water, Texas, right outside of Lubbock and how one of our families down in Houston would feed one or down in San Antonio would feed one. It's the same sheep. He's going to look different at maturity. And so sometimes over time, I think, you know, what works in your barn and I can feed that one and make him work, or I can't feed that one here and make him work. And that doesn't mean he can't win and work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes families have to go through that deal to go, I can feed that one. And with how I, show and how i exercise and how i feed and how the environmental factors in my barn influence one that's the kind i need to buy and sometimes that means you can buy one that maybe not as expensive because he doesn't work somewhere else and so i think i think families thinking about putting sheep on feed and now's the time where they're starting to think about putting sheep on feed i think they've got to look at their program and how those sheep have changed and developed at their house and then try to, you know, instead of just trying to maybe go with the popular one, everybody likes that one. I Let's try that one. Well, maybe they sh- go shopping for one that works at their place. And, and, and that only happens with trial and error. And, and it's, unfortunately, you know, it's going to take two or three years of at least of feeding stock in your barn to know what works in your barn. Well, listen here, folks, even if you don't have a diesel truck, I have something to tell you about. This is a new product from Fleet Performance Engineering called All Lights On. Folks, this is a really cool deal. They're shipping me one. I'm excited to put it in my Chevy pickup. Uh, I think currently Chevy and GMC is the the, uh, the brands that you can throw this in. So if you don't have a Chevy or GMC, that's okay. Go to Brad Howe 4 and buy you one. Yeah, I'm sure they got you <laughs> Chevy and GMCs there. JK. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but seriously, uh, what this does uh, is when you turn your, your brights on is it turns all your lights on. So your fog lights, your low beams, and your high beams are all on at the same time. Whereas typically when you just turn your brights on, it just turns out um, the, the brights on and that's it. So illuminate the road with all lights on from Fleece Performance Engineering. It doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Go check it out today. Fleeceperformance.com. See you later. Back to the show. Well, um, there's there's something else. So we did this, Wade. We did this with Jesse Heimer over the summer. Uh, obviously, a guy that's no stranger to winning and hanging some big banners right. on, on the biggest stages. So we actually titled his episode Mount Rushheimer. And because right. we, we did... Uh, we wanted him to pick his four favorite champions that he's ever raised or been a part of. Uh, and so we want to do that with you, but we're going to call this one uh, instead of Mount Rushheimer, we're going to call it Mount Franklin Moore. So, so right. I want, I want your, in your opinion, 
what are the four best lambs that you would choose to be on the Mount Franklin Moore of Champions? And that's a, that's a really good question and, and, a, and a tough one to answer. Uh, we've had many uh, that could be considered and many good families that have fed uh, sheep at the highest level and won big sheep shows. And, and it, sometimes, you know, you have one that wins a big sheep show and it just all kind of came together uh, at the last minute. And, and maybe on game day, he was the best in the barn, but maybe, you know, two weeks before, he was just nice enough. And so we've had those kinds, those kind uh, win sheep shows. But I, if I think about ones that, uh, that maybe should be on, on what we're talking about, that, that would be the kind that from the first day to the last day, um, we always thought they were capable of, of hanging a, a banner or winning a trophy. And so maybe the, maybe the first one that comes to mind, and because he was the most recent one, uh, is my son's lamb that just got through winning the National Western. And uh, he's a sheep that won his class at uh, Louisville and got left standing in that division that where the Grand came out. From the first uh, day he was born until uh, he got the trophy at Denver, uh, that's one we've always been proud of. And his body type uh, is one that, that – we are trying to replicate. I mean, that sheep was up and athletic and, uh, his kind and his build is exactly where we want to be. And so I think, I think he would have to be, be on the face of this mountain and be part of it. Another one that, uh, I would say similar applies. Uh, and I think back about, um, how good he was on game day in Houston, but, uh, Colton Noisy's 2015 grand at Houston, uh, he was a monster and the first five steps in the ring that day, um, and Kelly Bruns was, was the judge, but I knew that they weren't going to beat that one that day. And even to the point to where I can remember in the champion medium will drive, uh, some of the dads that, uh, had one out there with us competing against us. I mean, they walked up, congratulated us, which is almost a little bit of a jinx, but, they walked up and congratulated us and said, congrats. And, I mean, he hadn't even slapped him yet. But that sheep, he was a monster when we weaned him. And he was a monster all summer. And, like I say, five, the first five steps in the ring at Houston, that sheep show was over. And so I think, uh, I think he, would, he would have to be on, on the face. One, one that lost that uh, we were super proud of. Um, and, and I, you know, my sons had the, the fortune that I got to practice on other people's kids before he started showing. <laughs> and so I, I owe them families, um, a lot because we made a lot of mistakes when we were feeding sheep and some of them won. And we, I think back about how we handled them and how many mistakes we made compared to what we do now. And we're still making mistakes. We just don't know what they are yet, but, um, uh, in 2014, uh, we had a sheep that was reserved at uh, American Royal, and he got beat by a really good one. So I'm not saying I'm not saying ours was better than that one, but um, uh, the Reserve Grand at Kansas City in 2014. At that time, that was the best one we'd ever w- sent in the ring, and he was a sheep uh, that was super athletic, really attractive, and then 
still had everything else that's required to win a sheep show. And so I think back about that lamb and he would have to be on there, even though uh, he would be, he would be a reserve champion. And then I think I'm going to leave the, the fourth face open. And the reason I say that is, is uh, I don't think we've ever showed the perfect sheep. And, uh, and I don't know that anybody has. And so I, I think with respect to lots of other Houston grands and, San Antonio grands and stuff like that. I think, I think I'll leave that fourth face open. And then that way, when we walk the perfect one in, we'll, we'll, we'll stick him right there in front. Oh, I like that. So it's a good mindset. Well, that'll be uh, George Washington's head. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. And we may never find him, but I hope to find him. Uh, You know, it's funny how people talk about, you know, we're in the weather business and, and you know, and everybody, everybody uh, is worried about you know when they, they're trying to raise the next buck and they're trying to raise the next buck, and 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 even I'll go back to uh, uh, I'll go back to Kyle Smithwick a little bit. He after the after Denver, he I went up to to thank him, and uh, and he said, "What well, was your hand a little nervous when you were banding that one?" <laughs> and I said, "Nope." It wasn't nervous at all. I was glad to bend that one. And so uh, at our place, we've always, when we see a baby lamb and he's a really good one, you know, I think in a lot of people's places, they're thinking about that's my new next stud buck. And at our place, we're always thinking, about, I'm going to cut that sucker because he can win a big weather show. And so when we make the perfect one, people think, well, that's the one you're going to keep for a buck. And I'm like, that's the one we're going to cut. Mm. And so, uh we, we, we're going to leave that face open. We'll find the perfect one. We're going to cut him. So. Well, I hope you can get the carve it out, and, and I hope I'm there send, to witness it. Send, <laughs> I was going to say, and send, and send me an ear when you're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yep, that's right. So, Wade, yeah. let's talk a little nutrition. Uh, that's the, Nowadays, everybody's wanting to gear up and learn a little bit about nutrition and, and how their lambs need to be fed. So what's worked in your programs as far as products go, and uh, what have been kind of the key parts to keeping your uh, your engine fueled, if you will? Well, you know, like I said, um, I've, I've been really lucky and fortunate to uh, be affiliated with hunting feeds for many years now, and when we started out, we were, uh, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out what feeds would work and what feeds wouldn't work, particularly in our environment. And because, you know, feeding sheep uh, in Ohio would probably be different than feeding sheep in California and would definitely be different feeding sheep in Texas. And so, you know, we, we, we tried to listen to, uh, you know, people that we trusted and, and valued their opinion and then tried to formulate our own stuff a little bit. And so, uh, as, as we got going, um, and, uh, like I said, um, the nice thing about high noon is that's sheep feed, uh, sheep people feeding sheep feed. And so, you know, sometimes what, what in theory makes sense on trying to get a market lamb good, uh, when you're actually in the pen, it doesn't quite work. And the nice thing about the guys and the crew there, and I would include myself at high noon is, is that, you know, we're in the battle and, uh, and so you've got guys that are in the battle trying to win sheep shows. And so um, we've had, you know, good luck um, with taking that feed and because it's a super high quality product, but then able to formulate it and make it work in the pen so that people can to win sheep shows. And, and initially uh, uh, we came out a few years ago with a, with a, a base feed that we call extreme. 
and we practiced with it down here and kind of got it going and then was able to uh branch that feed out a little bit and and they they make it sell it uh back east and and we've kind of got it everywhere now but it's called extreme and it's an 18 percent and and the idea behind it uh was is and we call and the reason we called it extreme because at the time um it was a you know it's as high a protein base feed as we had 18 percent fiber component and the fiber content on it was high uh the energy component was good so it was it, you know what we what we were trying to do is put those sheep on edge where where the protein was at a maximum the energy was at a maximum the fiber was at a maximum and so uh you could go hard go fast and make those sheep lean athletic and still add bloom and condition and that's a feed that we use uh as our go-to initially i mean especially in the initial feeding phase uh, to get lambs started in the right direction get some weight gains and some growth and and then uh you know start adding to some bloom and condition uh initially as well and then the fiber component super good that uh you know you, you improve gut health and and have those things work for you and, and improve efficiency and those kind of things and so the extreme um is one that you know we could recommend to anybody uh, it's a, it's a really good feed to get lambs started and get them going. Um, usually at, after weaning time, we'll stay on, uh, whatever creep we're on. And, and of course we use a textured creep feed that we make at high noon as well, but we'll leave those sheep on creep, you know, potentially till they weigh a hundred pounds and then switch those sheep to extreme and, and feed them that way. Now, if you're trying to show summer sheep, you know, obviously you're going to need to kind of go on them things, um, uh, in April and May and June and try to get some weight gains and some growth and all that stuff. So you can get them polished up and ready to go in July. And so extreme is a nice feed that if you want to feed, you know, three pounds a day or three and a quarter or three and a half pounds a day, you can, you can get one big enough in a hurry to get what you need to get done. But also in our environment or our setting where, where we're maybe not going to show them things real fast, and we're going to kind of ease them along all summer long so that we can start feeding them in the fall to show them the next spring. It's got enough, uh, energy to it. And it, and it's, and it's got enough, uh, nutrition, daily nutrition in it that you can feed a pound in the morning and a pound at night, stall them lambs to where they're, maybe they're not having those four and five pound week or five pound a week gains, but they don't fade either. Sometimes, you know, if you don't, if, if there's not enough energy in your base feed and, and you s slow them lambs down too hard, then it's hard to get them back later. And the nice thing about extreme or the thing that we found, you know, feeding sheep in Texas or in the South, when you kind of want to go slow, you can feed that pound in the morning and a pound at night deal. And those sheep will have those one and two pound week a week or, or one and two pound gains per week. And they don't really go, but they stay nice to where you know you're in good shape. And when you start feeding them, you know, it doesn't take, you don't have to recreate the whole, the whole deal. And at the same time, if you, when you want to go, you can feed them three, three and a quarter or whatever. And then things will go and get big in a hurry and get where you need them to. And so that product's been good, uh, for, I think both, both settings, which is, which is nice. That's something that we hadn't found before where, where I think if you live in Ohio or Indiana and you need them things to go, you can feed extreme. You live in Texas and you want them to go slow, you can feed extreme as well. You just feed a different amount. 
Right. And so um, that that's the first product. I think the second one that we use, and I'm just talking about our program, because um, I think sometimes, you know, you people want to know what you're doing to win a sheep show. And so I can tell you what we do to win a sheep show is we start them on extreme and we feed extreme in the initial feeding phase. And then, you know, in the next product I want to talk about is punch. And, you know, like I was telling you about, I, I got fortunate to work with, with a lot of good families before mine started showing and you start playing around with some fats and oils and all this stuff. And, and because, you know, fat is your friend. I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't think what kind of stock you're feeding. If they don't have the right kind of bloom and the right kind of condition, it's just real hard to win. I mean, nobody goes and handles the grand champion market lamb and, and says, man, can you believe how lean that thing is? Everybody okay. handles the grand champion lamb and says, man, that thing's fat. Well, yeah, it's probably true. But what you want is, is you want to feed them things up to a certain condition level and have that really hard, firm, fresh fat. And so we start playing around with some oils and, and stuff and, and, and different fats and, 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 and that all that stuff works until it doesn't. And, and so, you know, you, you, you can have system overload and everything's real good. And then you, you, you have system overload and that thing will start to fade because you've just slugged him out with too much fat, too much oil. And so, you know, the nice thing is with, with the high noon guys and talking with Nick and Mel, um, what can we do to put these sheep on edge and get the right kind of condition on them without slugging them up and messing them up? And so, we, you know, in the last couple of years, we've come up with punch. And uh, before we even sell, start selling it, we sent it down here and we start playing with it and messing with it. And it just figured out that, you know, if it has the right balance, of fat and oils and fiber and protein that you can put those things on edge when you when it's time to make them good and you can go hard and go fast and not mess them up and so the nice thing about the punch feed is is that you can do more with less because a hungry animal is a better animal and sometimes when you're trying to beg those things to get good you feeding too much feed feeding too much junk um too much fluff i call it um you can put those cheap on punch feed less feed because it's the most nutrient dense diet that we have um you can feed less feed keep them hungry while at the same time adding the right kind of bloom condition and the right kind of blooming condition is the one where he's got blooming condition but he handles firm and hard and so the thing about the punch feed that we like, and, you know, the, recommend, the recommendations are, you know, feed punch at the end. For one, it's expensive. And I'll tell people that. That feed's high. And the reason it's high is because the quality of ingredients in that feed are expensive. And so you're not going to your local grocery store and buying you know, the cheapest steak that they've got. You're going there and you're buying the best one they got. And when you go buy the best one they have, it's expensive. Well, I would tell you the same thing that works on this, on the punch feed. The reason that that feed is expensive, it's not because we want to make 10 bucks a bag. It's because the ingredients that go in that bag are expensive. And when they're expensive, that means they're good. There's lots of bypass fats and oils in that feed. And so you, 
you, your rumen health is better. The fiber component super high, so your rumen health's better. And when you when the, when you have a healthy rumen, and then you're able to put those sheep on edge with fat and protein, that's when they get good. And so we recommend switching those sheep at the end. Um, you know, three weeks, a month. Really, the best. I think the best is actually about 45 days um, to feed that punch. Man, if you're a professional feeder and you know, you can start earlier. The negative is if you're really not on top of it because you got them on edge, you know, maybe if you're not checking those sheep pretty regular, there's a chance or slight chance that you're going to get them a little too far in terms of fat and condition. And then you're going to have to try to bring them back. But quite honestly, if you're checking them regular and you're working them hard enough and doing all the things you, things you need to do exercise wise, you can feed punch a lot longer and those sheep will be good and, and stay good for a long time. And it'll just give you the edge that when you walk that thing in the ring, you got a chance to beat beat those guys that are trying to beat you. And so, and and there again, the nice thing about punch, I think it works for the professional feeder that is really trying to win, like a Louisville or Kansas City or a Houston or Denver. But because those sheep just stay healthier, it also works for the guy just trying to win his county fair as well. And it, and there again, you don't have to sit there and try to come up with some kind of drench formula or some kind of top dress deal. You can just feed punch. And it sounds simple. And for some, they're going to make it too hard and they're not going to keep it that simple because if you're not experimenting and trying all this stuff, you're not trying. But the truth is, you can open a bag of punch, feed that feed, and there's really everything in there that is required for that sheep to get good. And so, you know, and you can feed less feed because, you know, we feed about two and a half pounds of punch when we're wanting them to go. And for some, that might seem like that's not quite enough. But the nice thing is, you know, you've got a hungry lamb. He's beating on the trough and yet you're still adding blooming condition on less feed. And so, you know, the, what I tell especially families that haven't tried it is, is you can do more with less. And that is a good thing as far and when you're feeding a market lamb. I think a lot of people get stressed out about when it comes to the feeding process of, well, I got to, I got to use this additive and I got to use this drench and, and this oil and this kind of fat, you know, liquid fat and all this other stuff. Animals will perform on feed if the, if it's, you know, the right feeding program and you understand how that animal works and you keep their gut healthy. So, yeah, well, the, 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 the fluff stuff always works, makes sense until well, it yeah. doesn't. And we've all been there where, it's all, it's going good. It's going good. And then that thing don't eat feed for like five days in a row. Yeah. And the reason he don't eat for five days in a row is because you screwed up his gut with some kind of, you know, bad chemical mix. And, right. and I've done it. I mean, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody that I'm throwing rocks at myself. I've been there like, and then, and then if you have to do the reboot process two weeks before your state fair, you have really little, little chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And we all know that. And so the nice thing about this, you can swap them over at the end feed them the last month, feed them punch, them sheep will get better. And the chance, the chances of you messing him up is slim on punch. Well, that's, uh, I always love talking nutrition. I think it's a, uh, it's a valuable thing for even the most experienced people to, to hear. And, uh, and even those that, that don't have as much experience. So, uh, we want to jump into another segment. We're in, we're in this Social Smash. Social Smash is brought to you by Brad Hal Ford. 
folks, we talk about it every episode. Go just buy that new truck today from Brad Hal in Kokomo, Indiana. They got an incredible lineup. They've got award-winning customer service. Visit Brad Hal for it today. Get that new pickup to cruise down. All the shows that are coming up here this spring and summer. So, Wade, we got a little different one just because we talked off air a little bit about, you know, your your lack of social media presence. Um, but with that being said, what's one of your biggest pet peeves just in the industry in general? Well, yeah, the, I think initially you, the pet peeve was my social media pet peeve. And like I told you, I, I don't even have a Facebook account. Uh, my wife tells me well, I need to rectify that. And I, and I do know that uh, in theory, it, it does help. It does help uh, your brand and help your sales and everything like that. I mean, I, I go back to my goat buddy, Dale Hummel. He's a, he's the professional and, and I should probably follow his model, but I, I can't. So I haven't done it yet, but um, I think about, you know, I don't know. I, I, pet peeves is, is kind of a touchy subject because there's, there's maybe multiple, but I, I love this game and, and there's a lot of things about this game um, that are, that make it worthwhile. And yet at the same time, if you try to think about, you know, how we can keep this game going uh, and being able to do it for, for, for many years, because I don't think there's, I mean, I've chose to do this um, to raise my family in this sport. And, um, and I know with the youth component um, in this sport, there really, there, there is no sport. I mean, unfortunately, you know, if we take the youth aspect out of showing livestock, there's really no reason for me to sit there and try to formulate what I think is an ideal market lamb because there's nobody to sell it to. Mm -hmm. And so in keeping that in mind and keeping that in mind, I think, I think we've got to do everything that we can do um, to try to keep, keep everything going in the right direction because the worst thing that we can do is shoot ourselves in the foot. And I know that we're all trying super hard to be super competitive and trying to win cheap shows. And everybody thinks that there's, you know, there's deals going on or there's, you know, people have a competitive advantage or that judge knows so-and-so. I, I think if you ask me, my biggest pet peeve is, is sometimes the best one really does win. And, I think there's always talk or chatter that somebody's got a deal or somebody's doing this and it's not right, but really not to say that that can't happen, but really the best one usually does win. And I think sometimes people want to talk or, or throw somebody under the bus, so to speak, um, because they didn't do their job at home or because they just didn't show him right or they didn't feed him right. And so I think less talk about negative stuff is better. And so, and I'm not telling you that we haven't had negative conversations before either, but I don't think it's good for the program or for the, the whole thing to be negative and have negative conversations about this and that. Sometimes if you get beat, just go home, go to work, get a better one, showing better, feeding better, presenting better. And more than likely, it'll work in your favor over time and maybe being less critical of a judge or less critical of that camp. And so 
my my advice and, and not that anybody would care but let's try to maybe stay and i'm trying to tell myself to do this too let's stay more positive because we need this thing to last because those of us that are in the business of making this stock good enough to win if we if we don't keep in mind that we have this youth component and we need to raise our kids in this deal and raise them correctly um then we're gonna we're not gonna have anybody to sell these things to and 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 ha- have the kind of fun that we're having raising them and showing them and to do that we just have to stay more positive and maybe have the right right mindset and if we get beat maybe look at ourselves and realize why we got beat as opposed to blaming somebody else mm-hmm. and so for what that's worth that would be my biggest pet peeve in in probably not only showing club lands but maybe all stock in general oh I. <laughs> I love that. And we've talked about that many times in other episodes, but yeah, just if we stay positive and I love your, your motto here is go to work. Just uh, let's put, put ourselves in front of a mirror and talk about what we need to do. So, and you mentioned, you know, your family a couple times and you're, you're happy to have your family in this game. And I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned your son has shown some of the best sheep out there, like the one in Denver, for example. And we caught wind that he is quite the baseball player. And what we want to know is how do you guys balance show, showing sheep at such a high level that you do, raising them for your customers, but also making sure that Hudson has a solid baseball career? And maybe what advice would you give some parents listening that may struggle with that same issue? Well, let's don't call it a career just yet. He's 13 in the seventh grade. But... <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I think stock show parents, and if they are stock show parents, which I have the utmost respect, they've already decided that they're going to invest in their kids because, um, you know, they've chosen, because we all know that if you're a stock show parent, you're going to have to spend a tremendous amount of time. And even those that are just showing at the county level, they're, they're spending a tremendous amount of time and, and money and effort and all those things in their own kids. And, and I think, you know, the sports parents probably similar. Um, maybe, maybe not as much because, you know, the, the, the nice thing about a stock show parent for the most part, they're not only, you know, supplying the money and the, and everything else involved, but they're also the coach, you know, they're the transporter, um, you know, nobody's, nobody's hauling, nobody's hauling their kids usually around. I mean, the, the parents are usually the one or the ag teachers, I guess, are hauling those kids, um, to, to all those shows. But I, I think going back to the sports aspect of it, you've already decided that you're going to invest in your kids. And so it's just, <clears throat> there is a balance, I think. But, you know, when, when, uh, when you've decided that, that, you know, maybe you're going to put your kid first or your kids first, it's really pretty, it's easier than people might think. I mean, yeah, we go and and look, we, yeah, he plays baseball, but he plays basketball and football. And of course we live in Texas. You got to play football and we're fortunate where, uh, where we live in a little community out here that, that, uh, they play good football and they have good sporting, uh, sport teams. And so, you know, we're lucky for that, but, um, you know, I think, I think when you, when you've already made the investment that you know, your kid as a kids are a priority and then you're going to invest your time, you know, 
having the balance of uh, playing sports and stop showing is not that difficult. Now, you know, I know, I do know that, that, uh, uh, it's hard to do everything well. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, you've got to pick and choose. Um, and, but so you gotta, you gotta, you know, understand that as well, but it's, it's really easy for us. Um, and, and there again, talking about, you know, fortunately, and, and, and everybody's seen this, you know, there is, there's some times where, where a parent might like showing more than their kid does. And that's a tough deal. We've sold some sheep, you know, to some folks that their kid maybe just didn't love showing. They did it, but they didn't love it. In our setting, we're situation. We're, we're, we're the luckiest people in the world because my kid loves showing sheep. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then he, he's a good athlete too. And so getting him, you know, to maybe not spend as much time playing a ball and going showing his stock. It's not hard um, to try to go to practice and then go back to the barn and show sheep. It just might mean that we get a little less sleep in some folks. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, if you're in the stock show business, you get less sleep than everybody else anyway. Right. Right. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's fun. And like I say, stock show parents have already decided they're going to spend time with their kids and invest in their kids. And so the, the sports deal is exactly the same in our, in our book. So, yeah. Well, that, uh, kind of brings us towards the end here. Um, and, and I kind of have like a, a question that's a little twofold here. So, um, you know, I think our, our last question that we're going to ask everybody here in 2020 is what lessons has the show stock industry taught you? But within that, um, you know, obviously everybody has a mentor um, or, or somebody that kind of helps them get their start, people that they've worked with and leaned on in this industry. Um, so let's start with what mentors kind of helped you get started and some of that advice that they gave you. And then in turn, how have those, you know, what lessons did you take away from that, that that the stock show industry has kind of taught you over time? Well, I I keep talking about luck, but it it really, uh, you know, I've been lucky because um, there's been many. And, uh, you know, I talked about, you know, Clint Cummings and being able to drive from one side of the country to the other and, and how you have those stock conversations that, you know, we all have an opinion on what stock should look like and, and how they should be built. And then when you have conversations with people that really know, you know, your, your opinions and your thoughts can, can go down that path. And so those things have been good, but, you know, I think back, I, I've been able to sit in the swing at uh, Leonard Bianchi's in California and talk about Hampshire sheep. And I was at a breakfast table with, junior Houghton one time and listen to that guy talk about sheep. And I've been to Oregon and, uh, been yelled at by uh, Chauncey Hubbard, who was a little bit harder hearing and he just yelled all the time. But, you know, I I've had that kind of opportunity, you know, um, I can had many conversations with James Duffy on his couch and his barn about, you know, about sheep and been on the porch with Mel Marks and talked about, talked about what an ideal sheep's, should look like and, and there's been many others and uh, and so those things have all been good and they formulated my opinions on on what these things are supposed to look like but you know I, I'm no different than than a lot of guys in this industry and and uh, unfortunately uh, you know I'm 
I told you I'm, I'm the owner of Jerry Franklin Show Lambs, and and my father was Jerry Franklin, and and uh, uh, unfortunately he got Lou Gehrig's in 2009, and uh, and he didn't live very long after that, and so I kind of got uh, uh, got thrown into going from a consulting mode to you know owner mode, so to speak. And so <clears throat> I'm managing his sheep. And, uh, and so, uh, he, he is, he is my mentor. Uh, um, and I can't spend too much time talking about it cause I'll start crying. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, um, I'll, I'm a guy that, that idolized his father. And so, um, it, it, if I think about everything that he's taught me, uh, over the years and, and tried to do, um, it's, it's an easy, easy question to answer. And so, fortunately that's how it worked out and uh, uh i'll never be as good a guy as he was but you know every day we try to get better and i try to be as be the kind of guy and the kind of man that he was for for my family as he was to me when i was younger and so i'll always uh, just be the manager of his flock um and so we try i'm trying to represent him in the best way possible and unfortunately uh most guys probably understand this uh when my dad was alive, we were, we were in the initial process of, of trying to make these things good. And he never really got to see them as good as they are now. And so, um, um, if he could see, if he could see what we did, I think he'd be proud. And the one thing I will say is, is, is if, if he hadn't got them started, which I didn't agree with it a hundred percent all the time, but if he hadn't have got them started the way he got them started, we wouldn't be where we are. And so, I owe him a great deal of gratitude and thanks. And, and like I say, um, there's been many guys that I've had the chance to uh, talk to and visit with and listen to and get educated by, but uh, none rival uh, my father. And so uh, he would be the, he is and will be the greatest mentor of my life. So mm. we're going to so, have to move on because I'm going to start well, crying. That's powerful <laughs> stuff, man. It's uh it sends chills down my spine and just thinking about my mentors and, and what they've taught me. And, uh, you know, I, I feel you 100%. And, uh, there's no doubt that anybody who would be your mentor would be proud to, to kind of see what you're doing. It's, uh, fascinating from somebody, uh, looking through your, your online page there and, and searching through your past champions and very recent champions. So, uh, you know, that's awesome stuff. And Corey and I always like to, to learn from folks like you and, and your dad to talk about, um, how it got started and you know everybody has to start somewhere and uh, you know just picking your brain about that so we appreciate you uh, opening up your mind and and giving us not only advice uh through nutrition and breeding and what have you but also your family and your your history as well so in closing is there any sales coming up that you'd like to uh, advertise for here in the coming weeks you know I, i'd like to say yes but uh you know, we all have our flaws and, uh, and mine is, is that, you know, I, I live in the moment. And so we, we, we should have stuff scheduled and, and we've done it multiple ways. I will tell you though, that, uh, you know, we, 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 we've sold cheap in every way possible. We've done it totally hundred percent private treaty. A few years ago, we were hundred percent online, um, those that are listening this year, I think we're going to, no, there's no thing. We're going to do a blend of both. Um, 
we're going to we're going to sell some sheep privately, and then we're going to try to have some special online sales where we'll maybe maybe take some of those super elite ones and, and try to do them that way. Uh, but we don't have we don't we, you know we're we're kind of in a battle a little bit as far as uh, this Texas show season, and so to tell you we we don't have anything scheduled at this moment. But I will tell you that uh, we have an open door policy and. Uh, if guys want to come look at any time and, and sit down and look at sheep, um, we'd be glad to have them. And so, uh, we usually start, <clears throat> we usually start working on that when we get through showing in the spring. And so, uh, anytime in April or May or something, if, if guys want to come look, we'll be happy to show them what we got. Well, that's good to know folks. If you're listening, uh, we just talked about the success of Jerry Franklin show lambs. So I suggest you give them a call and, uh, Wade, we really appreciate your time, man. I know it's a busy, busy season, and uh, to sit down and talk with you for for an hour or so is is very enlightening, and we're anxious to get this out there. So we re- really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Wade. Corey, the sheep folks got to be pretty happy. Uh, another really incredible conversation, broad spectrum again with Mister Wade Franklin, and um, man, what a timely episode for people to uh, learn a little rather an expert or just getting started. Um, yeah, good stuff. No doubt. I mean, two sheep episodes back to back. I mean, I can't think of a better way to keep the show rolling. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll get some more variety. Yes. But, you know, two uh, two very prominent names in the industry back to back weeks. Uh, glad to have weight on. Folks, we have a website still. Go check it out. Still there. Stocktalk-podcast.com. Visit the Build Your Legacy Scholarship page. Get everybody that you know, ages 16 to 21, to apply for that. Really looking forward to sifting through interv- uh, the uh, the folks that apply. There's there's a little video portion. There's a little written portion. You just have to get on the website and look at it. Check it out. Uh, merch still available. And Trevor and I are going to be hitting the road soon. we got some big sales coming up we're going to be at, uh, including the draft and Adam Beck and family. Uh, really looking forward to both those shows or those sales. So. Yeah, what Bex is coming up here on uh, the first Friday in March, and then we're headed to the draft in Illinois on the fourteenth. Correct. So check it out. There's lots of pigs to still be bought, and lots of really good pigs that uh, that have yet to be purchased and get thrown in the barn and get fed because we feed champions, we don't buy champions. Anyways. It's really good to talk to you guys. Yes, guys, we uh, we really appreciate you. We know we say that every time, but Corey and I would be, just be talking to a microphone if it wasn't for you guys. So we truly appreciate you. Visit our website. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We will see you next week. We love each and every one of you. I got to go.